Hi and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And this is episode 15, I think, which is not bad. <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? Yeah, well, so something interesting that wasn't my, that I've been thinking about recently, and then I, as I said, as I, as, as I said before, I started arguing with you in my mind, and then I thought, well, why don't you, why don't I get you involved in this discussion where you're involved? Did in I win the argument in your mind, Paolo? <laughs> Yeah, well, no, absolutely. That's that's why I get all excited. About it. You're, you're you're brilliant in my mind. Uh, oh, and I'm not in real life. Yeah, no. Well, then, well, let's see. Well, the, well, we'll see. Why don't we, exactly? Why don't we let our our public? <laughs> so I, I've been listening to a very interesting podcast uh, on uh, produced by the BBC, and uh, it's uh, about one coin. Uh, one coin is a scam essentially it's a um, cryptocurrency uh, sold by a worldwide organization on uh, a multi-level marketing uh, structure the apparently they, this is not really cryptocurrency there has never been a blockchain there is no way to exchange it with uh, any other type of currency and uh, the founders, one was arrested last year in the US, the other one disappeared completely, and nobody knows where she is. And uh, they stole something somewhere between four and six billion with a B euros, I think, uh, which is plenty of money to disappear with. What so I will I'll 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 post a link to the podcast. Very interesting story. Check it out. As I was listening to this week to week, I think last or the second to last episode, uh, uh, they were telling a story about Rwanda, where one coin became popular at some point, and uh, there were people from the cities that would actually go to the countryside where you know simpler customers could be found, and they would convincing them to sell their house to buy fake currency, and of course now they have nothing, and. Uh, and everything was supported by online campaign, by videos, by discussion groups of people saying how they fight against establishment uh, and how banking and haters are trying to destroy the reputation of Bitcoin, of, of uh, sorry, of OneCoin. And, uh, and, you know, this is, we are the real believer, this is the truth. Apparently, even... A bishop was selling uh, these coins to churchgoers. And when the journalist confronted the bishop, the bishop said, uh, uh, no, no, I think it, it, everything was right. And uh, the comment the journalist gave was, I thought that he was lying. I knew that he was lying. And probably, and I think that he knew that I knew that he was lying, but he didn't care. It, it didn't mean anything because in any case, uh, one coin would keep pushing their own communication through their own channels. And it doesn't matter if you're a journalist with the BBC, you know, you're just one voice and, uh, and people might or might not believe it. And, you know, this reminds you, you know, it reminds you of many political campaigns. It reminds you, it reminds you of vaccination or anti-vaccination campaign. 
but you know when you get people get scammed in the middle of the countryside in Africa it's sad and uh, all this happens because of uh, the internet so funnily enough just it's supported it's <clears throat> okay it's it, it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't mm, for well funnily enough just before you said that i was finding myself thinking about mm, you said even a bishop and then I was thinking about the selling of indulgences, which led to the Protestants and Martin Luther thinking enough was enough and doing something about it and the whole of the Reformation and blah, blah, blah. You know, this is not, this is not new, and it's not because of the internet. Well, you know, the, uh, no, it's not new. It's part of humankind, but the fact that you can develop such an initiative at this speed at this sites it's a you know it's there have been crooks in all history of humankind of course they are now empowered and they can do things that they couldn't do before but i don't think that the problem is the internet per se i the reason why i i started discussing with you in my own mind was that uh, was because this is a bbc journalist and uh, a hundred times we have when we went through our routine of saying, you know, there was a time when the BBC were telling truth, and of course there never was, but people think there was, or some people yeah. say there was, and uh, and now you have the, and, and now I think it's a funny situation where you have the BBC probably telling the truth. I mean, like like having listened to the whole thing, I tend to think that this journalist was telling of something closer to the truth than the other party. And people just don't believe them because they because they have alternatives. Yes, and so this this relates to a conversation I was having with a friend over lunch earlier about good and evil, and you know, um, sort of getting into he, he he he's very thoughtful about his faith, but he he does believe in a in a a sort of personified God, and consequently believes in evil. And, you know, I was getting into sort of things like saying, well, you know, if you're going to have one side represented as a, as a persona, then you sort of have to have the other side. Do you believe in the devil? And he said, oh, no, that, no of course I don't. Well, mm, one comes with the other, you know. And, and we got into this really interesting conversation about, you know, uh, uh, the Buddhist approach to life is to be very wary of saying one thing is good and one thing is bad or good and evil. Um because in all the complex exchanges that happen in a very complex, never-changing universe, sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes the things that look like the worst thing that could happen to you becomes the best thing that could happen to you. Now, I'm not saying that there hasn't been suffering and distress caused by this and that we should do all we can to make it difficult or, if not impossible, to cause suffering and distress to other people. But I'm very wary of... You know, at the moment, part of the reason we're getting such polarity... And yes, partly fueled by the technology of the internet, is that people are swinging into right and wrong and good and bad and making quite knee-jerk responses to to life. And you know, there are some things that just seem bloody obvious. I mean, this kind of smells like a scam right from the start. Um, and I think the prospect of people, as you know, we sort of talked about this earlier, that you know, people will. You know, if you're an optimist, people will begin to learn. People will begin to get more smart about critical thinking and who they trust and why they trust them. And I'm optimistic that we'll get bored with being as polarised as we are at the moment. 
Um, but I guess the big question is just how long it will take and how dark the tunnel we're about to go into before is. It's it's funny. It reminds me, there is a silly TV show on Netflix called The Good Place. Um, and it's the story about you know people who die and who end up in the good place. There is the good place and the bad place mm-hmm. after you, you die. And at some point of the story, it, it's a comedy, but at some point uh, they realize that actually nobody's going to the good place anymore Be- because there is a point system, but nobody gets enough point to go to the boot to the good place. So everybody ends up in the in the bad place. And at first they think there is some kind of scam. There is probably the devils are trying to, but then they realize that the problem is that the old point system was based on you know you do a good thing, you do a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But nowadays things are so complicated that every decision to make have so many implications that you're not aware of that even when you do a good thing, sometimes you end up doing a bad thing without knowing totally. because you know yeah. the, there are there are the, because there are these uh, unforeseen uh, and complex consequences and it's funny because it's a pretty it, it's a silly comedy but but they introduced this concept at some point we say yeah actually that's, that's yeah yeah and well in fact a, a couple of weeks ago i was in washington and uh host well two things that were relevant i guess one was i was hosting two panels one of which was about ai and it was a knowledge management conference, so it was about what, what's the role of knowledge management in a technologically enabled future. Um, and the other one was a, a new complexity symposium that my friend David Snowden was kicking off. And the two the, the two relate in the sense that one of the panelists in our first opening session in the KM thing was a, a you know an expert in AI, um, far from stupid. But when I was sort of trying to probe him a little bit about who gets to decide what the AI does and the algorithms that drive it and the sort of stuff we talk about here, he said, well, we just program it to do the right thing. And I said, well, okay, well, who, who gets to decide what the right thing is, you know? I mean, your, your definition as an American of a right thing might be different from my definition of a right thing, and we're both certainly very different, I would suspect, from a Chinese definition of the right thing. And it was just that over optimism and naivety that I just found depressing. And then we then went on to the complexity conference, which was all about the fact that complexity doesn't mean chaos. It just means that we have to work a bit harder at working it out. And, you know, there's been a couple of fascinating stories recently. You know, the, the, the idea that complexity science helped us to understand the weather and with enough processing power, you can begin to discern patterns in the weather that can allow you to be better at predicting future weather. And there was a story recently about this being these principles and these technologies and these uh, mathematical insights being applied to history, which I thought was fascinating. We're, now that we're beginning to get enough historical data, enough access to historical writing, to enough access to, to historical um, philosophy and what history means, they're beginning to get good enough that they're beginning to see the patterns that maybe we weren't aware of in human nature and human behaviours that are beginning to allow them to predict the next wave of human behaviour, which is fascinating that we have that prospect. And so, like I said, I don't think what we're talking about here is just giving up any sense of avoiding shared responsibility or, or mitigating distress and unhappiness. But I get excited at the prospect of maybe just getting a little bit better at judging our interventions, both when and how. 
I think that the challenge is that, you know, you always end up having to draw a line somewhere. And uh, when, whether, I mean, it's probably hard to argue that there is anything good in Rwandan farmers losing their houses. But, uh, for example, there has been recently a discussion about uh, Twitter stopping um, political advertising. And everybody's saying, oh, yeah, you that's, that's what Facebook should do. Why don't they do that? And uh, we were discussing with friends, said, okay, what is the definition of political? <laughs> what is political advertising? Because, yep. of course, of course, the advert, the advert coming from a political party is political advertising. Uh, but what about the lobbying group? Well, probably a lobbying group is political advertising. Okay, what if I advertise uh, in my neighborhood about, around... Uh, uh, you know, the local issues. Is that political advertising? Mm-hmm. It, it is, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, maybe it's a good thing if I can help move. Things. There is actually a number of situations where small ad campaign, local ad campaigns helped uh, pe- getting people more interested in some topics. But that is political advertising. Yeah. And, uh, and where is the line between the good political advertising and the bad political advertising? And where, where's the, what's the boundary of advertising? When does, you know, the fact that the Conservatives appear to have renamed their account as Fact Check UK, you know, um, that's not advertising, but it sure as hell is an attempt to to manipulate and and steer the population, and um, I mean it's fascinating the the fact that Twitter and Facebook, which are sort of still largely a bunch of kids way out their depth, are having to try and deal with all of this stuff. You know, it's it's uh... well, I I think, and uh, you know, hard to say if it is good or bad, but I think that it is important that they start trying to do something. Yes, around yes, it's that. not enough just I'm to stand back. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not expecting them to be the solution to this, but you know, if you build a network for two billion people, you know, you are you are you have plenty of clever people. You need to try being concerned about the consequences that these have and try to deal with them. And honestly, I think that the only place where this can come from is uh, from from within. I mean, I, I'd rather have them trying to fix it than having government try to fix it or yes. any other outside entity. Uh, both of them leave me troubled in the sense that I'm not sure I want Twitter management deciding right and wrong. You know, and it does come down to that old truism that one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Um, no, certainly, but still, you know, you have... One country with freedom fighters and the other country fighting them as terrorists, but it's at least at at least pick a pick a position. I mean, yes, if they make a decision, and I'm not saying that you know maybe the decision they should make is that uh, they will mean not be the one telling which is which, but in the same terms, I'd rather have them trying to do something that have them sitting there saying, well, it's not our responsibility, shit just happens. And let shit happen in a context where it's very easy to sway, in, in a context that is not a, a level uh, plane. It's, it's interesting. A place where I'm not sure. anybody... I mean, it, it's the thing about... The, you know, the thing is, look, it's not the internet, okay? No, no, it's, it's people. It's a platform. Yeah, yeah. Well, but most of all, it's a it's a piece of software that is working with uh, 
vary with algorithms that are basically skewing reality. Yeah, yeah. So if we don't do something about that, saying um, we're not going to touch it, it's like well, saying, see, well, so that's, you, know, you that, did. That's right? where Jimmy Wales' new thing is, is so interesting. Uh, the, the the Wiki Tribune social that's just kicked. Well, it's been, it's been around for a while in a different guise, but it's just been launched as an alternative to Facebook and Twitter. And you know, I forked out the ten quid a month that they're asking just to make sure they get funding to keep going for a bit, because the idea is that it's a, a way of sharing links to news stories, but being able to edit uh, each other's, contextualising those stories, but also to comment on the threads, and. It's going to be really interesting to see if they manage it. But, I mean, you know, frankly, the Wikipedia turned out a lot better than most people expected it to and and remains much better than most people expect it to be. And it's not without its uh, challenges and without its sort of scandals over how it gets run or who decides what goes in it. But I think it's it's been amazing in the way it's worked. And, and the prospect of that as a way of us understanding the world around us in in which isn't algorithmically driven because there's no need to make money off eyeballs and adverts and all the stuff that causes Facebook and Twitter to do the things they do. It, it, you know, call me an aging hippie, but I think it's an exciting prospect. It may well fail, but hey, let's have a go, you know? I would argue that uh, that Wikipedia is algorithmically driven. I mean, it might be a simple algorithm, but there is there are rules around Wikipedia that have been defined by their Wikipedia managers. And there are very strict rules, actually. I don't know if you ever tried editing anything on Wikipedia. Okay, but I there mean, are rules There are rules to maintain a level. So, okay, I, I know what you're saying. I, yeah, sorry, I, I agree. But there are rules that are there to 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 make it more likely that more people's perspectives get heard and seen which is oh, not the motivation of the twitter or the facebook algorithms absolutely but that is what so what i'm trying to say algorithms is that, aren't bad necessarily. exactly and exactly algorithms are necessarily bad you can create a huge community a huge community driven effort that self-regulate and creates a positive outcome wikipedia is the proof of it yes but if you if you create an environment and uh, algorithms that are actually privileging attention and eyeball capturing and maximizing revenues from advertising, probably the results that you're going to have are not that positive. So in order so, to yes. fix that, you need to change the... Yes. You need to change the ethics of the algorithms. And the only people who can do that are the owners of the algorithms. Yes, no, I agree. I mean, I agree. we can try to convince them, we can pressure, we can, you know, decide to move in mass on, on some other platform. But ultimately, it's a, it's a Facebook and Google and Twitter and, and that, that need to decide that they want to change the way they do things. So this this kind of leads back to uh, just the other day I was talking about my ideology of algorithms article and the fact that I was sort of only half jokingly suggesting that we could get AI to work out what our next ism is as a as an alternative to capitalism or socialism, and this plays into that argument as well. That um, well, let's base it basically admit that the, the the right thing for for Twitter and Facebook has been for some time to make money, and and at the cost of other things they could have been considering, and that's basically what society is beginning to push back against that you know that that, that brings with it a responsibility and the, the idea of the the algorithms being set loose on the the behaviors of the human species and deciding what causes 
I was going to not no, not no stress because you want you want a bit of stress because that makes you challenged and you you have a go and you make a difference. But you know what's the optimal set of behaviours for the population of the planet that means that we save the planet, we don't kill each other, and we all end up reasonably happy. You know, it's not inconceivable that an ideal uh, uh, that an algorithm could come up with that set of rules. And in a sense, that's what you've sort of described with the Wikipedia. You know, with some assistance from the humans, they've come up with a, an optimal set of behaviours that make the thing work and stay on the rails and not get too extreme. It's not impossible to imagine that for the whole the whole of society. Yeah, it's it's possible. It's uh, probably where we are going. I guess the question is how long this <laughs> Yeah, how long have we got? got? <laughs> and yeah. if we if we manage not to destroy humankind on the way there. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, right now the feeling is that we are sort of going in... Let's say that if we're going in the right direction, we're going in the right direction at a very, very low speed. Yep. Uh, the other thing about trust that I was that was on the economies, I think, uh, last week was um, the how popular has become pretty much uh, everywhere the use of deep fake in political discussions. So mm-hmm. they you start having. Uh, politicians saying things that they've never seen in videos. You have, of course, is very bad and horrible with women and porn. And and uh, and the problem is that uh, we're not equipped to to handle that because we're still programmed to think that if you see a, a, a you know a moving image of somebody saying something, that really happened. And uh, and suddenly yeah. it's not true it's just, anymore. It just made me made me sort of wonder where the word deep came from in that phrase, and does that imply that everything else is shallow, shallow fake? fake. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and and it's making me think of that interview with Prince Andrew that um, the BBC did, and where they, you know, frankly allowed him to sit in this stateroom type building that conveys all the sense of stability and the establishment and as he sat there blatantly telling lies. And, you know, again, the, yes, clearly the ability to manipulate imagery or, or whatever else, you know, the, the, the photograph is no longer a reliable record of fact, as it were. Um, but it's, again, I still have this nagging feeling that, not, that this isn't new, you know? Well, yeah, probably, but you know the fact that he basically can say, "Well, I don't have any recollection of that happening," and you know that photos, well, you know how photos are these days; everything can be doctored. If you yeah. create an environment where you can basically say that everything might or might not be true, and you get to the point where there is no recognition of any type of authority and nobody you can trust. And uh, I think that... Uh, well, that, that, no, that's not, not, no, not nobody. So this is where the, kind of, the anarchist in me kicks in because we've been trained to trust a certain subset of the population, the ones who live in palaces or the ones who have a television channel to play with or whatever. Oh, but sometimes even the ones who has been studying a topic for a certain amount of years of their life or somebody who have had some experience uh, that others have had. No, I'm not arguing against it, against expertise. I'm, I'm arguing for an increased sense of need for critical thinking. And, and to muddy the waters by sort of feeling sad that we don't trust the 
the, the, the monarchy or the media, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is our collective ability to agree on on some workable form of truth that, that, that gets us moving forwards, not backwards. I just got a notification from BBC News that Prince Andrew is stepping back from the royal duties for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so people will be able to date this when we record this podcast. It's uh, 23 past 6 on the 20th of November. Fantastic. We are on the news. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of anarchy in a completely unrelated uh, uh, term, I've been reading a book titled "The Anarchy," and it's a story of the East India Company. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, you think about evil evil corporation today, <laughs> you have no idea yeah. what evil corporation can be. Oh, I know, uh, I know, and. Um, well, but, that, but that's not evil. That's building the empire. Yeah, that's showing that that's showing all these foreigners what civilization is. Yeah, there, I'm also listening to a, to an audiobook. Uh, I think it's called "Lining the Sand." It's about the French and the Brits in Middle East and the beginning of last century. Some, some very straight lines that paid no attention to the local tribes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those, yeah. Well, those lines. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm 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 completely with you in terms that there have been plenty of of situation where, um, before the internet, people fucked up things pretty pretty badly. It's <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's not it's not you know it, there were bad things before the internet, um, and and our ability. So so yes, bad things might happen faster and have a bigger impact, but then our ability to deal with them is is bigger and better too. You know, um, I, I think that it's a. Uh, you know, how fast are we adapting to things? Uh, how fast are we, you know, I, I think that there is a certain, I think that any one of us, you, you read news and we are very critical, even, you know, I think we have developed a certain ability of, you know, when you read something that is not that convincing, you can do some quick background research. Yeah. I mean, there is a certain healthy dose of uh, skepticism that that helps yeah. help us manage Which information. Is developing. Yeah, uh, I, I guess yeah. it is. You know, if there is a probably the the one vaccine that we should try to develop is the skepticism one, right? Well, and also a bit of bit of lag time. I mean, it's interesting how you saw that news alert while we're doing this podcast. Um, Podcasting aside, the chances of me having any news alerts from any news agency, never mind the BBC, anywhere near any of my devices, are zero. Because I don't want to be jerked around by the latest news. I want to just build in a bit of buffer, a bit of time, and just let it settle. And then, you know, that's why I think things like The Economist are so important, where you've got a week's delay and people having enough time to sit around and think, well, what did that actually mean then? And a lot of, I think, you know, again, News 24, 24 hour news was CNN, that wasn't the internet. And this this appetite, or this even you know, I go down to visit my parents down in Dorset, and they're both in their eighties. And Mum's worrying about all these things happening around the world. I'm going, Mum, you're living in this cottage in Dorset. <laughs> you know, none of them affect you, and you can do nothing about any of them. But there's this sort of sense of obligation that oh, you should news, you should read the news or watch the news. Just you should know what's going on around the world. Mm, maybe. Well, you know, I I think that it is interesting. I I. 
I think that there is a again a healthy middle ground between being addicted and uh, you know being interested in consuming a certain healthy amount yes. of news to think about you know, shit that happens and... Uh, yeah, uh, and I'm not suggesting we should be sticking our heads in the sand, but but I think the ability for the media to jerk us around and pull strings is is, is, is a, a worrying... Um, I guess it... I, I, I'm wondering, and I'm just thinking this uh, based on, on reacting to what you said, if we are going... Because the be worried about news was uh, probably the invention of 24 hour a day news it, it was yeah. it was the bbc and it was the, the, the television need to keep telling you things and of course everything that you said needed had to be more outrageous than the previous one otherwise you would just you know build up resistance yeah. i'm yeah. not sure that worrying people is still the I'm wondering, is worrying people the main characteristic of uh, news in the internet era? Or is it more... I mean, I think in a lot of the clickbaity type of attention-grabbing news is more revolving around, uh, you know, telling you the things that you don't know. You know, there is a, oh, you need to click mm-hmm. on this before the evil power that be will prevent you from doing this. It's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's i think there is more of a almost religious tendency of uh, you know trying to get people to believe in things and or find the real reason Ooh. behind yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. i mean yeah the truth yeah, yeah. exactly a, a, a rev- going for a revelation i was recently uh, watching the um the the statistics I don't remember the number, but apparently um, horoscopes app uh, apps are very popular with millennials. And you say, like, really? Mm-hmm. But there is this uh, looking for some alternative, you know, planes almost, you know, of mm-hmm. existence where things can be interpreted. So, I don't know. I mean, it's... it's uh, uh, it might be a little bit less about worrying about things and more about just moving you away from reality to some other different <laughs> time. Well, it's of... funny. I mean, actually, just having been talk to, talking about Prince Andrew, I'm watching the new series of The Crown. And uh, that's interesting in the sense that it's now about events that I was alive during and can remember and watching it with the kids and them understanding things through that lens of that drama that that you know semi <laughs> it's clearly going to have to be semi fictional and i saw somebody posting the other day that's just how much of what happens in the crown is actually true and that in a sense is exactly what we're talking about isn't it that i've got my partial rec- recollection of things that happened and that was itself mediated at the time and now we've got this retrospective version of history which I'm which I'm enjoying because it makes me remember and understand aspects of Britain and and my culture and I and I think you know again back to this thing of trust and and critical thinking you know I believe that they have done a pretty good job of reflecting the 
shared historical perspective on things that happened, you know. But that's not necessarily the truth. You know, I'm sure there would be people who were actually more directly involved in the events that they're depicting that would have significant issues with what the crowd is portraying uh, as the truth. I only watched the first episode, so no spoilers, okay? No spoilers, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about the crown is there aren't any spoilers because yeah, we prefer- know what prefer- Is the Queen gone? It's the one telly series yeah. you can she's talk still, about. She's still alive by the end of the season. Right? That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Queen dies at the end of the series. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think as somebody calculated, it's going to take four or five more seasons because b- before we get to the present day. So we're pretty confident she'll have popped her clogs before we get into deep water. Oh, let's hope not. Well, I mean, yeah, they might they might actually do this season very quickly. Um, it's going to be like Game of Thrones, where we don't know what the ending is, and we just have to make it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I, I uh, speaking of how you compare the you know reality that you lived with you know yourself back in a day with you know how you see it again today with with a completely different perspective. Um, I was reading recently about uh, somebody saying how Americans never came to terms with uh, the, the the bad part of their history. They say, you know, if you look yeah. at Germany, Germany had to go through a process of uh, dealing with what happened in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting because I think that also there is also the Italian... Uh, from the Italian point of view, uh, I think that mm-hmm. we also didn't really deal with with our past because you know by the end of the mm-hmm. war, Italy was on the border with the you know Iron Curtain. There was there were interested interests at that point not to not to make too much noise. So a lot yeah, of people you got you got you got let off lightly, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, really? yeah, exactly. It was uh, a lot of people just <laughs> got off very lightly to the point that yeah. to the point that today from some parties there is a narrative saying, well, you know, Italian fascists were not that bad. I mean they were yeah, yeah. yeah they were fascists, <laughs> but they were the nice fascists. And it's yeah. uh, Italian fascists were much nicer than German yeah, fascists. Exactly. Fascists, no, so. Yeah, exactly. Italian fascists were among the nicer fascists the, 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 the. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And, and, and uh, you know, and I've, it's funny because I've been reading more and more history books recently and, 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 and it, I, I love how you, you know, you intersect different points of view and you start creating a multidimensional, and I mean, mm. I'm not saying understanding, mm. but at least a feeling of how things must have been at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. I, I think it's also interesting, you know, what you were saying earlier about uh, using AI and machine learning and, you know, mining data in, in the past in order to understand the present and potentially to predict history. It's, uh, you know, there is so much data these days that, uh, that uh, yeah. you know, you wonder what kind of impact. And, and maybe if everything accelerates uh through the internet, given that these days there is so much data that you can use to to analyze, you know, to get machines to learn, um, can can we start to react to history quicker than than we have been doing mm. so far? Interesting. And and I mean, I was about to say, and we might start gaming it. Of course, we'll bloody start gaming it. We game everything. Oh, yeah. um, we're humans, right? That's right. So once we start to know what the algorithms are that are determining what the history that we're being told is, we'll start to try and steer it and, and subvert it. And 
Yeah, my software is better than your software. I can see that coming as well. Um, software wars. No, we have been being, we have been saying that Mac is better winners for the last thirty years. We're not going to stop, right? <laughs> well, <no. laughs> yeah, well, that one's done and dusted. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to be I, we'll be happy in our Apple Apple world, you know. <laughs> Think about the poor bastards in the Windows world. It's like it's I know, really awful. I know. You know they're going to lose winning all the time. I think we, we perhaps. Paula, before we start alienating anybody who listens to this podcast who's, who's, who's a Windows user, we, we should maybe um, let them off and stop. <laughs> yes, yes, let's 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 stop before we lose. And I, it, and I, it's it's funny. I I have been reviewing applications for a job. From I mean, we we, we posted a job opening on LinkedIn a few weeks ago, and uh, mm-hmm. by far, and you know, as you page through all these applications you see profiles on linkedin and uh, by far the most followed person on linkedin from everybody who applies for a position as a product manager is bill gates i think that something like i would say 80 percent of uh, applicants follow bill gates on linkedin so you know what <sighs> I think I mean I like Bill Gates. I mean it's, it's uh, he's not, yeah he's not he's not a stupid man. He seems capable of doing good things, although some of what they do is a bit questionable. Um, what I like but, did, yeah, did really? you see did you see the documentary? Well, but that's the population of LinkedIn. That thankfully the population of LinkedIn is not representative of humankind. No, it's a very skewed a very skewed sample that is. Yeah, true. I mean I I think that I think that in some sector I mean. If you're looking for a product manager, probably the, it it overlaps oh, sure, pretty nicely. Sure, yeah, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be seeking that as a as a, a res- representative sampling of of, of humankind. Um, of humankind. No, no, I I would, I, I would agree. <laughs> we're re- we're in really deep doo doo if that's the case. No, no, we love all humans, right? It's it's uh, regardless <laughs> of uh, nationality, creed, or operating system. Indeed, and we'll talk bollocks to anybody who will listen. Absolutely. And uh, actually, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you the next time. Bye.